Welcome to the 63rd episode of the Headkick KO Podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC Fight Night, Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic. And after that, we do have a couple of fight announcements and some ranking adjustments to discuss. Um, and there is one title fight in there, so you're going to want to make sure you stick around for that. And then once we get through with that, we are going to look forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira. So uh, to start this, we are going to get right into Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic. And this, um, this was a very important fight coming in. This fight had major title implications. Uh, the way that I described this fight prior was that Alexander Rakic would walk away uh, with the title shot if he won. And for Jan Blachowicz, I think there were some questions that maybe he could get a title shot, maybe he couldn't. And we're going to discuss that a little bit later. Um, but for the amount of, for the stakes that were riding on this fight, this was a very underwhelming finish to a fight that really was set up to be a very good fight a very entertaining fight and um, we just didn't get to see that through once Alexander Rakic injured his knee in the third round but we are going to talk about what happened up to that point up to that point we had a really good fight on our hands um, one of the things that impressed me the most was Alexander Rakic's speed. Uh, his speed really stood out to me. And he was in there with a world-class opponent in Jan Blachowicz, and he looked a lot quicker than Jan. And I knew I knew Rakic was quick, um, but I don't think I really thought he was that quick. So credit to him on that. He also throws some really nice kicks. I really like the way that he throws that front, or that lead kick to the body, I should say. Um, a lot of guys, when they're kicking to the body um, in, in your traditional, more roundhouse-style kick, um, the, most guys do it with their rear leg, but he put in several shots with that front leg, and it was real quick, just a quick snap and bang, hits the body. So I think that was an interesting thing that uh, stood out to me as well. Um, and then from there, these guys were throwing some heavy shots, and they were throwing a lot of leg kicks. Um, Jan Blachowicz, I think, was being a little bit more efficient with his leg kicks. He wasn't eating as much damage. He was checking some that were coming back a little bit more efficiently. And I think that ultimately kind of can be seen in the difference in swelling between the two guys. And let me also say this. I don't think the, the leg kicks at all were a part of the injury. Um, I don't think anyone is making that claim. Uh, I would just like it to be known that by saying they're exchanging leg kicks and that Jan was checking them and, and Rakic was getting beat up in that lead, lead leg, I don't think that really had any impact on the injury itself. Um, looking at the injury, we see Rakic's back leg kind of buckle out and it, it looks like a ligament is probably torn in that knee. I'm no doctor, but I know that's no good. Um, but a lot of the damage of the kicks were, was being taken uh, by that lead leg. Jan was landing very effectively on that lead leg, and we didn't see much movement being prohibited or affected um, in the back leg prior to the injury. In the front leg, yes, um, but in the back leg, no. So um, I just kind of want to make that clear as well. And then um, Rakic 
did a good job as well of getting a takedown in that second round, and he had a lot of top control, which really helped him. He landed some good ground and pound, nothing too crazy, um, but he did. it looked like he wore on Jan a little bit in that round. Jan looked uh, a little bit more tired going into that third round um, than he did going into the second round. And for Rockage, he looked like he was going to be in a good spot. Um, as that fight progressed, he didn't seem tired at all. I was quite impressed with his conditioning. Um, but with that being said, with that injury, I think we were 1-1 going into three. And from there, you've got three rounds left. And I think either guy could have went out there and won those rounds. So I'm not here to say that, oh, Jan, Jan won in round three, technically. Um, and he was going to win the last three anyways. I I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, and with that being said, I'm not sure that Rockets couldn't have gone out there and, um, you know, won the last three as well. So I think both of those guys had very big opportunities to go out there and put a stamp on this fight um, before it ended. However, with, with the injury, that was impossible. And so um, with that being said, we're left in an interesting position with both of these guys because both of them look good to me. Um, when you're thinking about guys in that light heavyweight division, I think that Blahovich and Rakic are two of the best fighters in that division that are not currently competing for a title. So Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prohoshka, obviously competing for that title in the next UFC pay-per-view. Um, outside of that, I think that Blahovich and Rakic are two of the best fighters in that division based off what we saw last night. Um, I think there are some other guys who could present them with some challenges and possibly possibly beat them. But regardless, I was um, pretty impressed with both guys. And also, um, I have been semi-critical. I, I don't feel like I've, I've been over-critical, but I have been criti critical of Jan Blachowicz's performance against Glover Teixeira. And I believe in last week's episode, I said that if the if the Jan that fought Glover shows up, um, Rakic is going to get in, a win here. And I will say in this fight, that was not the Jan we saw. We saw the, the Jan that, that fought guys like Rockhold and fought um, some and fought guys like Corey Anderson. So we saw a good version of Jan Blachowicz, and I was impressed with um, the form he was in heading into this one, um, despite some previous criticisms. So I will say that as well. But moving forward for what is next for both of these guys, um, let's start with Jan Blachowicz. He called for a title shot, and I'm not necessarily sold on that idea that he is going to get that. Um, however, I do think there are, there are opportunities um, for him to possibly get that shot. Obviously, it is very important to see what happens at uh, UFC 276, I believe the next pay-per-view is. Um, but at the next pay-per-view, we will see Glover Teixeira and we will see um, Yuri Prohashka fight for the belt. So, um, yes, UFC 276 is the, oh no, UFC 275, UFC 275, my apologies. Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohashka. So the, the winner of that will obviously be in a situation where they're left to determine who they fight next. And regardless of any, you know, there's situations where if we get a draw, obviously, or if we get a controversial decision, 
or things like that. There, there could be a rematch. Um, barring any unforeseen circumstances, I doubt that. So um, we're going to get a winner of this fight. And I think Jan Blachowicz does have a small leg to stand on here in terms of getting the next title shot. Um, I think the other names that you really have to consider in this one, um, and there's several. Um, on July 30th, we are going to see Anthony Smith versus Megamed Ankalov. I think the winner of that fight will have a real compelling case for a title shot. And especially if it's Megamed Ankalov, because he has not yet competed for a title. And even if it's Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith has done his work and worked his way back up to the top half and top five in that division. And beating someone like Megamed Ankalev, I think, could be enough to get him a title shot over Jan Blachowicz. And then the other fight we have to consider is Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos on August 6th. Um, I don't think Tiago Santos can get a title shot with a win, per se. However... If Jamal Hill is able to go out there and knock out Tiago Santos in a similar fashion to how he knocked out Johnny Walker, I do think that he will be um, somewhere in the discussion. I think the UFC would like to see him fight one more time, even if he gets a victory over Tiago Santos. Um, but I think Jamal Hill is a dark horse to get that next shot in the light heavyweight division. Um, and, and for Jan Blachowicz, he doesn't really have as much of a case as you would think a former champion would have, right? Um, I don't know if that's the best way to word that, but based off the fact that he's a former champion, he is going to have a, a little bit easier path back to the belt than um, someone who isn't a champ. Someone who isn't a champ probably has to do a little bit more work to get there, but being a former champ, you can get back there a little bit sooner than other guys. Despite that, if you look at what he's done, if the only thing you have to stand on to get a rematch is, I think he had one title defense, and yes, he had one title defense, and he has this one win against Alexander Rakic, which he didn't, he won one round in this fight. And from there, Rakic, you know, had an unfortunate injury. And I don't necessarily think that injuries um, can't get you a title shot. For example, you can win, you can cause an injury to your opponent and win, but Jan didn't cause this injury. So I, I don't know that Jan Blachowicz is going to get that next title shot despite um, technically winning this fight and being the former champion. If you look at other situations, for example, Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker, he um, didn't get a title shot. I think he had to win three after the first fight with Adesanya. He had to win three fights and... He, I, I I believe he could have got it after the second one, but there were some timing issues. But ultimately, I think that the wins that Whitaker had, the two wins, were a lot more, um, holded a little bit more weight in comparison to this one win that Blahovich has. And that's just comparing it to a recent example where we had a former champion coming off a win, um, going to get his belt back. Um, and even if you compare it to other fights 
for example, if you look at Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, Max had to go out there and fight Calvin Cater, and he put a stamp on that fight, and he could have got a title shot after that fight. So that was one fight. However, the outcome of Holloway and Cater was much more one-sided than the outcome of Jan Blachowicz and Alexander Rakic. So despite Rock, or despite Blachowicz's status as a former champion, I'm not necessarily convinced that he is going to get a title shot after this one. And then um, for Alexander Rakic, I think the number one thing is heal up. Um, once he's healed, you know, there's no reason to go out there and fight on a bad knee because you could see a similar outcome to what uh, we saw on Saturday. So for, for Alexander Rakic, he needs to heal up. From there, once he is healed, I think he should get a, a big opportunity. Um, I think he looked good enough today to prove he deserves to fight in the top three of this division. Um, depending on his return time, his return time could be a year. Um, it could be six months. Once again, I'm not sure. Um, I don't even believe the injury is disclosed yet. Um, but once he is eligible to step back in the octagon, I think you give him someone of a high status, um, whether that be... Jan Blahovich again, or whether that be um, maybe Jan, or excuse me, um, Yuri Prohashka or Glover Teixeira coming off a title loss, uh, whether that be, you know, Magomedic or Anthony Smith, depending on how their fights play out. Um, I think there's a lot of different scenarios um, in situations where that, that name he's going to return against is going to change, um, just depending on how the division plays out Well, he is injured. So um, that's really all I have for Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic. So now we are going to move into the co-main event, which was Ryan Spann versus Ian Kutelaba. Now, this was a really fun fight while it lasted. It didn't last long, and Ryan Spann looked good here. He was very, very aggressive. Um, he landed a big double jab and a right behind it. He landed some other good shots, and despite Span's aggressiveness, Kutalaba did a pretty good job getting some top control, and he's able to get takedowns due to the aggressiveness of Ryan Span. Um, from there, Span did a great job getting off bottom. He's able to really get those uh, the foot on the hips of Kutalaba and really just push push him away. So he did a good job there, and then eventually they found themselves in another sequence and um, they're starting to grapple a little bit, and Ryan Spann gets on the neck of Kutelaba, and he does a really good job of immediately... I like the way he went for the guillotine, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, a lot of guys would jump Gilly in that situation, I think. I like how he didn't jump Gilly straight off the, the get. Um, he was able to get to a mounted position and got the finish, and I think the mounted guillotine is a lot safer of an option because, for example, if he jumps Gilly and, and Kutalaba gets away, then um, Kutalaba is now on top. But if you go for the mounted Gilly in a, in a similar fashion to that, you end up on top if you lose the guillotine, um, which I guess doesn't really matter because he was able to get it. So regardless, Ryan Spann walks away with a first-round submission victory. Now... Um, for Ryan Spann, this puts him back in the win column, and I still think he's a really good fighter, and 
he's going to be facing a ranked opponent next, I believe. I think it just comes down to who is that going to be specifically. Um, I believe he has already fought Johnny Walker. Otherwise, that would be a decent matchup. Um, and then the other rank fights you have on there, Justin Jacoby, I think he, I think Justin Jacoby just got booked. Um, so, um, let me check on that real quick, but, um, I'm not exactly sure who he's going to fight, but I think it's going to be someone in that 10 to, oh no, I am, oh, Johnny Walker did beat Ryan Spann. So, uh, we won't see that fight. That would be a good fight otherwise, but that isn't necessarily going to happen now. Um, and then Dustin Jacoby, uh, who is he booked up against? Dustin Jacoby just got booked up against Dao Jung. So I think the winner of that would be a good matchup for Ryan Spann. Um, that'd give you two ranked guys who are in the in the similar position in those rankings. So I think that fight would make sense. Um, for Kutalaba. He's going to have to fight another unranked opponent. And Kutalaba is someone who is really fluttering between those 10 to 15 slots in the rankings and just outside those rankings. So he's probably going to have to win one or two outside of the rankings before he can get another crack inside of the top 25. And then um, moving on from that, we had another very important fight in Caitlin Chikagian versus Amanda Hibas. Hibas moving up to 125 pounds in this one. Um, and at the end of the day, that division is in desperate need of challengers. So I I, I don't want to say I wanted Amanda Hibas to win, but I think that's a compelling matchup, Hibas versus Shevchenko. And I think if Hibas would have won this fight, she would have walked right into that title shot. Um, when you come into the division and beat the number one ranked contender, I think that puts you in a pretty good position for a immediate title shot. Um, however, she wasn't able to get that victory, but it was a very, very close fight. Um, looking at that fight, I think it's pretty clear that Hibas won round one and Chikagin won round two. Round three was a, a toss-up. And I believe I checked Verdict shortly after the fight. If you don't know, Verdict MMA gives you scoring. And Verdict had it scored at 9.54 in favor of Amanda Hibas. And, and that's out of 10. So that means Chikagian would have been around a 9.46. So they would have gave that a slight edge to Hibas. But that is such a small margin that that pretty much means round three was a 50-50 toss-up. And the judges ultimately gave it to, to, to Kagan. I'm not mad about that at all. Um, I, I think it was a very close fight. And I think round three was a toss-up. And I'm not going to argue with how the judges scored round three. And within this fight, uh, I was pretty impressed with some of Hibas' groundwork. She landed a big toss in the first round. She landed several other tosses throughout the fight. However, Caitlin Chikagian looked like the better striker. I think Jukagian showed that she was the 125-pounder in that octagon, and Hibas looked like she was moving up from 115 pounds. Um, so I think that really played in the benefit of Jukagian. Um, I think she was a slight bit longer and a slight bit more powerful, and Jukagian does a really good job of, of landing frequently and, and using her length to her advantage, and she did a great job getting a, a victory in this one. And... 
Um, Chikagian won a majority of those striking exchanges. I think Hibas, Hibas came out on top of a couple of them, but um, not enough to get her a win in this one. So very close fight, and, and I'm cool with it being scored for Caitlin Chikagian. Now, um, I, I think at this point, I think Caitlin Chikagian has done enough to earn herself a rematch against um, Shevchenko. We are in a we're at a point where Chikagin doesn't have a lot of fresh blood in that division. Simply looking at the rankings, Chikagin had or Shevchenko has already beaten, um, or excuse me, Shevchenko has beaten Chikagin, Lauren Murphy. She's fighting Talia Santos. She's beat Jennifer Maya. So that is. A good portion of the top fighters in that division and if she like I said she's fighting Talia Santos so if she's able to beat Talia Santos um, that really gives that really really takes a takes a big name off of that checklist um, she's also beat Jessica Antraj so there isn't a lot here for Shevchenko in this division and I think when it comes to rematches um, I don't think that Caitlin Chikagin can necessarily. I wouldn't pick her in a fight against Shevchenko. However, when you look at what she's done since losing to Valentina, she has beat Antonia Shevchenko, and, and then she lost to Jessica Andrade in, in 2020. However, after that, uh, Caitlin Chikagin has beat Cynthia Calvillo. Viviane Arajudo, Jennifer Maya, and Amanda Hibas. And I think winning four fights in a row um, and having going one and one prior to that, I think that is enough to get you your rematch. Um, and I think at some point you, you have to make that fight again, um, even though it's not the most compelling fight and probably wouldn't do the best um, in terms of selling pay-per-views or gaining interest. However, I just think that um, once you're able to put four back-to-back um, against the top fighters in a, in a division, um, I think that gives you a, a solid stake at a championship fight. With that being said, um, I could see some situations where she gets asked to fight someone like Alexa Grasso or Manon Fior, and if one of those girls are able to go out there and get a win over Chukagan, I think that that would earn them a title shot. Or, or there are some other situations that could play out that could ultimately lead to Chikagian getting jumped. However, I don't think those are going to happen right now. And ultimately, I think uh, that next title shot for Shevchenko is going to come down to how active she wants to be. Um, if she takes a year off after this next fight, then the division is going to get shook, shook up a little. Um, if she wants to fight three months later, you know, Chikagian is going to have a much better chance of getting that uh, next title shot and then um, we skipped around a little bit uh, we accidentally skipped Davy Grant versus Luis Smolka but that was a really fun fight uh, those guys went in there and they committed to getting into a brawl that's exactly what happened they were both throwing some big shots I think Davy Grant however was landing a little bit more frequently and was landing the bigger shots ultimately the leg kicks of Davy Grant proved to be just a little bit too much and that uh, that leg of Luis Smolka eventually gave out. Um, nothing. It, it didn't give out majorly. He wasn't. You know. He just couldn't 
walk on it anymore. Um, I don't think there's any structural damage done to the knee. I think it's just going to be a lot of swelling. And then, you know, once that happened, he's, he goes for the, the desperation takedown. Davy Grant has him in a, in a compromised position, and he throws a couple of big ground-and-pound strikes and goes out there and gets a win. So good fight from Davy Grant. I think Davy Grant is a very good fighter at 135 pounds. I'm not sure that he is ever going to be, you know, a top five fighter, but I think he's going to be in the UFC for a very long time. And I think he's going to flutter on the outside of those uh, top 15 rankings and maybe break in a little bit. Um, however, I do think he is a very good fighter nonetheless. Um, and then also on the main card, we had um, Manuel Torres versus Frank Camacho. And this fight was also um, a very good fight. These guys went in there and throw, threw bombs. And ultimately in this one, I think it came down to one of the two is going to land the big shot that puts the other out. And I think Torres was landing, like I said, with David Grant. He was landing a little bit more frequently, and he was landing a little bit harder throughout the course of the fight. And then eventually he finds his shot that puts Frank Camacho out, and I believe he got a 50K knockout bonus for that. So he earned himself a great victory there. And he is still um, on the younger side, 13-2 and two for Manuel Torres. He's still got some climbing to do throughout the rankings, but um, we'll, we'll see how his career progresses. I think he's someone uh, to potentially keep an eye on. And then... Um, now we are, we're going to skip around a little bit again. Um, Viviana Arjuno versus Andrea Lee was on these prelims. These are ranked women at 125 pounds. Uh, very good fight here. Andrea Lee almost finds a finish early. However, Viviana Arjuno is able to withstand some of that initial damage. And she did a good job throughout the remainder of the fight getting some control. She landed some very big ground and pound shots, and she walked away with a very convincing, unanimous decision victory. And she is in an interesting position because she has fought some of these other women at 125 pounds. She is... Actually, I think Jennifer Maya is a decent fight for her next. Um, sitting at 6-7, and seven. It doesn't throw you too far up the rankings. However, um, I think that fight makes a level of sense um, because I think also Alexa Grasso and Minon Fior are going to get big opportunities um, against some of those women in the top three and four, depending on when those fights get booked. Um, so I think Arjuno can get a good fight in against Maya, and then if she wins that, she can break into the top five of that division. Um, for Andrea Lee, I don't think she's going too far, um, but I imagine that she's going to have to possibly fight an up-and-comer next, whether that be someone like Tracy Cortez, um, Macy Barber is, you know, used to be a big-time prospect, now she's not as much. Actually, Macy Barber's fighting Jessica I, um, so maybe once that fight's over, that'll make a level of sense. Um, moving on, we had Alan Nascimento versus Jake Hadley. I really liked Nascimento in this fight. I, I think he looked very good. Jake Hadley is someone who I was high on coming in. Um, I saw some of his Cage Warriors fights. He was a Cage Warriors champ. 
Um, he's only 25 years old, so I think really highly of him as a prospect. But um, ultimately, um, Nascimento was was just a better fighter in that one. And he's Nascimento is very big at 125 pounds. He he looked much bigger than Jake Hadley, and he really used that size to his advantage. He was able to go out there and take Hadley down and had a lot of control time and walked away with a solid victory. He also throws a very nice rear leg kick. Um, so these two guys at 125 pounds, I, I, I like both of them in that division. Um, <clears throat> Stock might be down on Hadley after that one just a little bit, but um, if he gets a good bounce back, bounce back victory, maybe that could change. Um, let's go a little bit quicker through the rest of these fights that we had on the card. Michael Johnson got a great KO victory over Alan Patrick. Probably should have got 50K, but um, that'll happen. Yina Janjiroba was able to control her way into a decision victory against Angela Hill. Detsura Taira made his UFC debut at 22. I really like him. I don't think this is going to be the last time we speak about him on the podcast. He throws a really nice head kick, and he he looked to have a very complete game, both on the feet and on the ground. Also got a knockdown, so look out for him. And then one of the bigger surprises was Andre Petrovsky being able to submit Nick Maximov. Um Nothing against Petrovsky. I actually really like Petrovsky in the in the UFC. I think he has very good potential. However, I also really like Nick Maximov. And before this fight, I was probably probably significantly higher actually on Maximov, but Petrovsky was able to go out there and um, win a scramble early. They had a couple of really nice scrambles, but ultimately Petrovsky was able to find an anaconda choke and go out there and get a victory so that really fast paced him um at 170 pounds i believe that fight was at so now we are going to move on and talk about some of the other fight bookings that we have had in this um yeah so now we're going to move on and discuss some other fight bookings that we have had um, since uh, the last time we talked. And like always, we are going to go right in order of the date that these fights are going to take place. So, Andre Fialo, he is going to fight Jake Matthews on June 11th. This is going to be a quick return for Andre Fialo. However, Jake Matthews is a rewarding fight, and if you're able to beat Jake Matthews, um, I think he gets a top 15 opponent if he wins that fight. Adrian Yanez is going to get his wish to fight in in Texas on June 18th against Tony Kelly. Umar Nurmagomedov returns against Nick Manis on June 25th. Umar is one of the best prospects in the UFC, has a very exciting fighting style, so you don't want to miss that one. And then we on July 2nd, we are going to see Jim Miller versus Bobby Lee or excuse me, Bobby Green, Bobby Green. Um, I was surprised they made this fight um, based off the fact that Bobby Green took that short-nose fight against Islam. I thought the UFC was going to reward him 
with someone who wasn't as grappling heavy and I thought they were going to give him someone he could strike with. Um, however, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad fight. Just slightly surprised. Um, Amanda Lemos, who lost a couple weeks ago to Jessica Andrade, is getting right back in there against Michelle Waterson on July 16th. And then Paul Craig and Vulcan Ozdemir added to that UFC London card on July 23rd. So um, that's a good addition to that card, adding two more um, European fighters. Um, I believe Vulcan Ozdemir is a European. I might be wrong on that, but I know Paul Craig is, and he fought on the last London card and put on a show. Possibly the biggest fight that was booked was Brandon Moreno versus Kai Cara France on July 30th for an interim title fight. Um, word is that Devison Figueredo has hand injuries in both of his hands, so they didn't just do this despite Devison. He's actually going to miss a significant amount of time. Carlos Diego Fajeda versus Dracar Close has been booked for July 30th. Um, Diego Fajeda may be ranked. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but he was he was pulled from the rankings after Charles um, got bumped down to the number one contender. So um, that is pretty much the equivalent of a ranked fight for Dracar Close, which I was a little bit of surprised about. But um, when you look a little bit deeper at Dracar Close, I think he probably earned that. Especially um, even though he lost to Benil Daryush. That was a very impressive fight that um, he almost won. So um, I don't I don't think this is too big of a step for him into those rankings. Terrence McKinney is returning on August 6th to face Eric Gonzalez. Uh, really like McKinney. I thought he was going to get a little bit bigger name for an opponent. However, um, we'll see what he can do against Eric Gonzalez. And maybe at the minimum, this gives him an opportunity to build his hype a little bit. Um, because if you were to ask me, hey, do you think Eric Gonzalez or Matt Frivola is a better fighter? I would probably say Frivola. I could be wrong on that. I could be completely wrong, but that's probably what I would go with um, just if I were asked that question. So I, I, I'm kind of surprised this fight was booked, but um, um, I always like watching Terrence McKinney fight, so I will be there watching. Um Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal, August on that, also on that August 6th card. And that fight, as always, if Jeff Neal or Vicente Luque is fighting, it's going to have repercussions in the top portion of that 170-pound division. These guys are currently ranked 6th and 12th. So, shout-out to Vicente Luque for being willing to fight someone who was a little bit further down in those rankings. And then removed from the UFC rankings pool was Gregor Gillespie. He hadn't fought in, I think it was a year. He said he hadn't fought because the UFC will not offer him, or he can't get guy. excuse me. He had been offered fights, but he couldn't get guys who are ranked ahead of him to accept fights. He doesn't want to fight people ranked behind him. Now, this is the biggest flaw of the UFC rankings, is guys who want to fight guys ranked ahead of them, and they get mad when guys ranked ahead of them won't accept the fight. For example, um, Chandler, I think he said Chandler, Tony, and RDA, none of them wanted to fight him. However, using his logic, if he doesn't want to fight people ranked behind him, why would people 
ranked ahead of him want to fight him? You know, if Gregor, who I think was ranked 10th, I believe, let's see if he's still, he's, okay, Gregor is currently ranked 8th. So by Gregor's logic, if he's ranked 8th and doesn't want to fight anyone ranked behind him, um, then that means he doesn't get to fight Conor McGregor if they offer him that fight. But who am I to judge his thought process? Um, but that means he won't fight anyone ranked behind him. And, for example, if he wants to fight Chandler, Chandler's ranked 5th. So why would Chandler fight anyone ranked be, why would Chandler fight anyone who's ranked behind him using Gregor Gillespie's logic? Or RDA is ranked 7th. Why would he want to fight anyone behind him? So the, sometimes there's things that give it a, a give it a, you know, you gotta get, you gotta give a little, um, to get a little, because if you win fights, you're going to move up in the rankings, regardless if you're fighting guys ranked behind you. For example, if Gregor Gillespie were to go out there and beat the number 11 ranked Rafael Faziv, um, people would take notice. You know what I mean? Sitting around and waiting for a Benil Daryush, a Michael Chandler, an RDA might not be the most efficient outcome, and now you're no longer ranked. So now you're kind of left at the position of the UFC because now you can't say, hey, I won't, fight, I won't fight someone ranked behind me. The same thing happened to Leon Edwards, um, slightly different, but then Leon Edwards ended up fighting um, or being scheduled to fight with um, Hazmat Shumayev. So when you start declining fights, just be careful um, because you might end up fighting someone you don't want to fight. That is just something to think about. All right, so I know I said we were going to talk about UFC Fight Night, Holm versus Vieira in the intro, but I actually think that we are just going to do a brief overlook. Um, uh, Holm and Vieira is a very good fight. Um, I think the winner gets a possibly a title shot, maybe not. Um, from there, Santiago Pantanibio and Michelle Pieda. That's a very interesting fight. Um, that's Pieta trying to break into the rankings. Um, and then from there, I'm just going to shout out uh, a handful of other fighters. You've got Dusko Todorovic, who was a, a big-time prospect and lost two in a row. Eric Anders usually gets an exciting fight. Um, Eros Medic, 7-1, similar situation where top prospect um, lost a fight. Um, Chase Hooper. Um, people seem to really enjoy him fighting as well, so I'll make sure to say that he is on this card. Other than that, there isn't a lot of big-name value or a lot of top prospects. Um, I, I still think it's an interesting card. I think there are some interesting names um, that may turn out, and if anything crazy happens with any of those, um, we'll talk about it next week. So if you want to um, watch a recap, we'll be back recapping uh, this next week when it happens. Um, but for now, thank you for watching this episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Goodbye.